This is RCT 8, God the Father. We are in the Roman Catechism of Trent, RCT, page 20 to 22, part 1, the Creed, article 1, phrase 1, section 3, God give you his peace, and nomine patris affidiat spiritu sancti, amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us, cleanse us and save us, you who are all good, amen. In nomine patris affidiat spiritu sancti, amen. And just one quick note before we start, I wrote a blog post recently called 238 Infallible Teachings of the Catholic Church. One of the most common questions I get is, what is actually infallible in the Catholic Church's teachings? You've heard me name the five big ones, scripture, councils, creeds, ex cathedra statements, and anytime the church fathers agree on anything. But there was a blog post that came out on a different blog from mine that I link in there, came out about 10 years ago on Tradicat. And what it did is it took from Ludwig Ott's book, 238 different dogmas. Uh, all of them are very linked because our Catholic faith is very organic. Uh, but these 238 dogmas are just the beginning of what we can consider infallible dogmas. Again, anything that is articulated faith and morals in the Old Testament and New Testament can be considered infallible too. But people often like lists, and that's why I put that together. So I will put that in the show notes, 238 infallible teachings of the Catholic Church. And now we enter the Catechism of Pius V, also known as the Roman Catechism today, on God the Father. As God is called Father, for more reasons than one, we must first determine the more appropriate sense in which the word is used in the present instance. God is called Father because he is creator and ruler. Even some, on whose darkness the light of faith never shone, conceived God to be an eternal substance from whom all things have their beginning, and by whose providence they are governed and preserved in their order and state of existence. Since, therefore, he to whom a family owes its origin and by whose wisdom and authority it is governed is called Father, so by an analogy derived from human things, these persons gave the name Father to God, whom they acknowledged to be the creator and governor of the universe. The sacred scriptures also, when they wish to show that to God must be ascribed the creation of all things, supreme power and admirable providence, make use of the same name. Thus we read, Is not he thy father that hath possessed thee, and made thee and created thee? In Deuteronomy 32.6 And have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Malachi 2.10 God is called Father because he adopts Christians through grace. But God, particularly in the New Testament, is much more frequently, and in some sense peculiarly, called the Father of Christians, who have not received the spirit of bondage again in fear, but have received the spirit of adoption of sons of God, whereby they cry, Abba, Father, Romans 8.15, for the Father hath bestowed upon us that manner of charity that we should be called and be the sons of God. 1 John 3.1 And if sons, heirs also, heirs indeed of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8.17 He who is the firstborn amongst many brethren. Romans 8.29 And is not ashamed to call us brethren. Hebrews 2.11 Whether therefore we look to the common title of creation and providence, or to the special one of spiritual adoption, Rightly do the baptized profess their belief that God is their Father. Me here. Okay, so we know at baptism you become a child of God. 
and when you were baptized, you became either a son of God or a daughter of God. Does that mean you're the same as Jesus? Of course not. No, the divine word is the eternal son of God, and that's why Christ is known as the eternal word. He is God's son by nature, since God the Father and God the Son are the same substance, as is God the Holy Spirit, same divinity. And so there are three persons of the Trinity. They're separate persons, but only one God. Now, you and I, by the grace of our baptism, which was won for us by the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you and I are God's sons by adoption. Not nature, but adoption. Now, there's a bit of a theological debate today, and it goes like this. Are non-baptized people also children of God? Are non-baptized people also children of God? Now, the easy modernist answer, everyone's going to jump in and be like, well, of course they are, because God loves everybody. Traditionalists will probably push back and say, no, 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 because only that happens, that only happens at baptism. Well, today there's a nuanced answer in the Roman Catechism of Trent that gives a slight nod in the direction of the first one, so they're not totally wrong, but there's a bigger nod to the traditionalist answer. So first of all, let's look at the first one. Everyone on planet Earth is in some sense a son or daughter of God, baptized or not. Why? Because the Catechism just showed that everyone is a creature of God. So in that sense, we are all sons of the Creator just by creation itself. The Catechism just said, He to whom a family owes its origin and by whose wisdom and authority it is governed is called Father, so by an analogy derived from human things, these persons gave the name Father to God, whom they acknowledge to be the Creator and Governor of the universe. That's why in certain Native American religions, they will call God Father, because they, they recognize um, that they have an origin in him. But there's a transcendence. This is why you will never hear any Muslim call God Father, because for them, Muhammad's Allah is so transcendent, there's, there's no likeness to even be named for them. But the Catechism just told us everyone can call God Father at least as a governing authority and origin of all life. Also, it named a couple times that even the Jews in the Old Testament refer to God as Father, uh, since there was um, such a huge chasm of transcendence. It's very few times, but there are a few times that the Catechism named today. Deuteronomy 32.6, Is he not thy Father that hath possessed thee, and made thee, and created thee? And Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one Father? Hath not one God created us? So there we see, before baptism, God is our governing authority and origin. And so he is a father in the sense that everyone on planet Earth, all 7 billion people, baptized or not, can call God Father. But something new happens at baptism that gives us the ability par excellence to call God our Father in a way that baptized non-baptized people cannot. So let's remember this. Let's go way back 6,000 years ago. Remember, Adam and Eve were made in God's image and likeness. But then at the fall, really I should say after the fall, everyone who's born, except for Mary and Joseph and John the Baptist, everyone is born with God's image, but his likeness is marred by original sin. Those three saints I just named, they were born in God's image and likeness. I've explained St. Joseph at other times as well as St. John the Baptist. Only Mary was conceived the Immaculate Conception, but we're not going to go into John the Baptist and Joseph today. But basically, after the fall, nearly every one of us is born in God's image, but his likeness isn't found in us because it's marred, it's harmed, it's, it's greatly destroyed almost by original sin. 
But here's what happens when you're baptized, whether that be as a baby or if you are a convert to the Catholic faith as an adult. Baptism erases original sin and makes you a tabernacle of the living God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. And then just right there at baptism, you are now not only living as an image of God, as you were in utero, in your mom's stomach for the kids listening, but at baptism, that likeness of holiness is restored. So if you've been baptized, especially a baby right after baptism, baptism is living in God's image and likeness. So now you can call God Father even by a certain likeness of holiness. And that's why in the old rite of baptism, we talk about praying that this child goes before God with his or her baptismal garment unstained because that level of holiness is really more than we can comprehend in a newly baptized baby. You've heard me mention before that St. Francis of Assisi would genuflect before newly baptized babies. So the Catechism tells us today, long repeat quote here, but it's worth listening to again, God, particularly in the New Testament, is much more frequently and in some sense peculiarly called the father of Christians who have not received the spirit of bondage again in fear, but have received the spirit of adoption of sons of God, whereby they cry, Abba, Father. For the Father has bestowed upon us that manner of charity that we should be called and be the sons of God. And if sons, heirs also, heirs indeed of God and joint heirs with Christ, who is the firstborn amongst many brethren and is not ashamed to call us brothers. So again, notice that there's many more times in the New Testament than the Old that God is referred to as Father. Now, that doesn't mean it's because it's a, a different God or something like that. There's a lot of weird myths that, you know, Old Testament is mean and justice-based and New Testament is all nice and happy and mercy-based. But if you look closely, the ratio of the word justice to the word mercy is the same in Old Testament and New Testament. So we have to get rid of this kind of uh, popping up of Marcionism again. Remember, modernism is the synthesis of all heresies. Well, one of those heresies is Marcionism that taught that the God of the Old Testament was different from the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. Yahweh in the Old Testament is the exact same God as who is revealed in the New Testament as the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But new gifts abound in the New Testament. It's not like the bar of justice is lowered like most modernists say. In fact, it's actually higher in the New Testament and for us living under grace, within grace, I should say, precisely because that level of grace is so much higher given to man and woman at baptism. We can read Romans chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8 to really start to understand how the Apostle Paul probably lived in awe of his baptismal grace, everyone's baptismal grace that was being baptized in that first century. The Apostle Paul lived in awe of that baptismal grace his whole life. He writes in Romans 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, so right there, notice, baptism is death. When that baby goes down into the water, it's a drowning, it's a death. The old man in the baby, kind of weird, the old man dies in the water, and who comes out? 
this new man, this new creation who can now call God Father. But that's not just a gift. That's an enormous responsibility, as Paul writes to the newly baptized Roman Jews, now Catholics, two chapters later in Romans 8. Romans 8 reads, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, H-E-I-R-S, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So notice that Paul, when, when Paul was Saul, he would not be talking like this. He would not be walking around telling the Jews they could talk to God as Father, as Abba, like this. This is purely the gift of baptism. And that is where um, the trads are mostly right, who say you're really only a son or daughter of God at baptism. That is at least the, the way that par excellence we can call God Father. So again, are non-Catholics, are non-baptized people able to call God their father? Well, again, the answer was nuanced in the catechism today when it said they can in a certain way, as far as the title of creation and providence, call God father. Non-Christians can call God father as far as just the basics of creation and providence. But only Christians baptized can par excellence. And this is, quote, the special one of spiritual adoption, end quote, because that belongs only to the baptized. And now we will close with the last paragraph of the Catechism on God the Father, at least in this beginning section today. The name Father also discloses the plurality of persons in God. But the pastor should teach that on hearing the word Father, besides the ideas already unfolded, the mind should rise to more exalted mysteries. Under the name Father, The divine oracles begin to unveil to us a mysterious truth which is more obtruse and more deeply hidden in that inaccessible light in which God dwells and which human reason and understanding could not attain to nor even conjecture to exist. This name implies that in the one essence of the Godhead is proposed to our belief not only one person but a distinction of persons. For in one divine nature there are three persons, the Father begotten of none, the Son begotten of the Father before all ages, and the Holy Ghost, proceeding from the Father and the Son, likewise from all eternity. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis. Patris et Fidi et Spiritus Santi, descendit super vos et maniat semper. Amen.